Good morning, church. It's always a blessing to be here at the Mount Pleasant Church. Um, It's like a two-hour drive, (laughs) and I enjoy it. But um, I enjoy, you know, being here with you. Um, As we look around our world and we see the things that are taking place, How many of you feel like we should be home by now? Don't you feel we should be home by now? And I want to tell you, Jesus would like to have us home a long time ago. But you know, not because he wants to delay his coming, but because of us not being ready for him to take us home. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be the one to lead and be the one to speak and just use me as his instrument at this hour. So let us pray. For God and Father, I pray you may send your spirit again to speak at this hour. And may you hide me, Father, behind the shadow of your cross. And may everything that is said or done be according to your will, Father, and for strengthening of the faith and bringing souls to the foot of the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to let you know, um, I had the privilege of meeting three of my uncles from my mom's side. I never met my uncle from my father's side. He died very early, I think before I was born. My mom had four brothers. One died, I think, before I was born as well, the oldest. But these three uncles of mine were very special, very loving. But they had a big problem, all three of them. And the problem is that they were alcoholics. And they struggled with this vice, and maybe even more than alcohol. They struggled all their lives from the time I know them. I want to let you know that there was one of them, he was the youngest, he would not visit us. He would only come to visit when he was drunk. I always come to visit, and whenever he, he saw us, you know, he would embrace, and he would hug, and then he was so hairy, and he would be rubbing his face all over us, and we would try to get away from him. And the smell of the alcohol, you know, I still smell it until this day. So when I smell the alcohol, I remember my uncle. And the oldest of these three, I think he was the second one that passed. And I think he lived the longest, yes. He was like 78 when he passed. I told him, imagine if you had lived a healthy life. How long you would live. He told me one day, he said, I have been trying to get rid of this addiction. And it's just so hard for me. Alcohol is something that I love. 
And I know it's killing me. It's destroying my body. But, you know, I don't have the willpower. Well, he passed away, and all three of them died with, um, what do we call that, when the cancer in the lung? What we call Yes, lung cancer. All three of them died with, with that terrible, terrible um, disease, sickness. And I always, when I look on our people, maybe on the street, even some young people that I know very well, some of them I even grew up with, and I see them going, going down this path with drinking and smoking and using different types of drugs. You know, it pains my heart because it brings back all these memories of my uncles who, I would say, destroy their lives. But I want to let you all know something, that there are a group of people in the Bible who were enticed and tempted by alcohol. And they decided, we are not going to taste it, we are not going to drink it. And these were the Rechabites, faithful family. They belonged to the, the Kenites who accompanied the Israelites into the Holy Land, and they dwelt among them. And they were separate, you know, from the Israelites. They refused to participate in agricultural pursuits and drinking wine and engage in any any other practices that you know would you know have them coming into contact with the Canaanites. They believe that the semi nomad um, uh, or nomadic way of life was a religious obligation and they loved to do this and they were committed young people and adults, to abstain from anything that had to do with alcohol. And I want to tell you they are an example in the Bible. If you have your Bible, let's read a little a bit about this family that I find very remarkable for us and a great testimony for every single one of us today. And I say to the young people who are here this morning, never, ever, Accept an invitation to drink any type of alcohol. It's deadly. Once you are hooked onto it, it's going to keep you there if you don't seek help from God. And in the book of Jeremiah chapter 35, so I want you all to pay attention to this. Jeremiah 35, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. And I want us to understand, we are just going to have a Bible study this morning, to understand how the Lord, from the very beginning, he placed before us what is his plan for us and what he expects from us. So, Jeremiah chapter 35, and I'm going to take verse 1. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go where? Somebody can read verse 2. What it says? Go where? Go to the house of who? Rechabites and speak to them. And bring them into the house of the Lord. Into one of the chambers. And give them wine to drink. Now, where they were supposed to take them? Where was he supposed to take this family? 
to the house of the Lord and give them what to drink? Wine to drink. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. The whole entire family. So imagine now, the father and the mothers and the children and grandchildren and everybody were gathered into the house. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of princes, above the chamber of Maziah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And imagine, church, this is God who told the prophet to do this. You need to do this. This is a command from God. Take them to the house of God. Take them to the house of the Lord and offer them wine to drink. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups and said to them, drink wine. Now you are before the prophet of God and you are in the house of the Lord. Will you obey the servant of God? Or would you disobey? Let's see what the Rechabites did. But they said, we will drink no what? No wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. This was the response of the family. And this wasn't one person saying, this is the whole family saying, we are not. It didn't say, I, we are not going to drink this wine. This is a commitment. It seems like the family had come together before throughout the years and had made this commitment and promised their grandfather and great-grandfather, Jonadab, we will never put alcohol, put wine to our mouth as long as we live. And the generations to come will not do it either. None of us. And this was not a divided family. This was a family who were standing, everybody was standing on the same principles and on the same values, on the same teachings, on the same doctrines. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. We may say, this sounds crazy. Remember, they did not believe in agriculture. But this was a command from their grandfather. Their father. And they decided we are going to be faithful through this. We are going to follow what he said. And verse 8 says. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab. The son of Rechab. Our father in all that he charges. To drink no wine all our days. We or our wives or our sons and our daughters. We are not going to drink your wine. And they were speaking to the prophet of God. And remember, the prophet was representing the Lord. 
Nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or sea, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonah, that our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwelt in Jeru- at Jerusalem. That's the only reason why we are here, the family is saying. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? You know, the Lord is using this experience to teach a lesson to Israel, to the entire nation. And he pointed out one family. One family that was willing to stand up. One family that was willing to say, we are not going to drink the wine. And the Lord tell Jeremiah, you need to go back now and say to your people, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed for to do this, for to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me, says the Lord. Look on the Rechabites. They are faithful to their grandfather, faithful to the words of their father. But you are not faithful to my words. You know, sometimes the Lord uses situations and even people to bring us to the light. And to help us to understand what is his will in our lives. And this family, they were in the spotlight. They were the example for Israel at this point. Maybe not everything that they stood for, you know, the Lord would want them to do. Or had com- would command them to do. But it's the spirit, their commitment to obey the Lord. Matters what? We don't care if the prophet is from God. This is what they are saying. You can come from God, but we are going to obey our Father. We are going to be faithful to Him. And this is remarkable. And I think the Lord had a purpose why He permitted this family to come out with His people and to live there in this land. And notice on verse um. Um, 15. He says, I have also sent to you my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn, O everyone, from his evil way. Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. The Lord is saying, you know, I have sent my prophets. I have sent so many of them before to teach you, to show you, to guide you. But you decide not to obey me. You have insisted in following your own way. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. What a shame on Israel. That was a shame for them to have a family like this standing up for their principles, standing up for what they believe was right. 
And then we have an entire nation over here who had God as their leader. God leading them. And they disobeying him. It's a shame. Shame on Israel. And then verse 17 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and on all inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. This is Israel. They are deaf. They are blind. And it's serious. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonah, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. What a blessing. This family was going to be Blessed by the Lord because of their commitment to stand up for what is right. And I want to tell you all, the point here is the wine. The Rechabites decide we're not drinking your wine. And I want to tell you that this wine was a test for this family. Wine became a test for them and they passed the test. Wine is also the test for God's people living in the end time. Wine. And God is calling his people today to be very careful that we take part or drink of the wine that Babylon is offering unto us. Just as you see, which, you know... God did it intentionally to just test this family. But God is watching down and he's seeing today as well where the enemy, Babylon, brings wine. And they bring it right into the house of God. And they say, taste. Babylon is offering the wine today. Taste and drink. But let's leave what the word of God says to God's end time people today. Who are tempted to drink Babylon's wine. Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to a a Bible text that we all know very, very well. Revelation 14 chapter. What is Revelation 14 all about? Come on, Seventh-day Adventists. What we find there? The three angels' messages. We should know that, right? We we, we know that. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We know what the three angels' messages are all about. But let us take Revelation chapter 14, and I'm going to take verse 8. Let us read verse 8. And another angel followed. And what it was saying? Saying, what happened to Babylon? Babylon is what? Babylon is fallen. Is fallen, the great city. Why is Babylon fallen? What does the word of God say? Because she has what? Made all nations to do what? Drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All nations. And I want to let you all know something. These nations represent every part of the world. The whole entire world. And it not only represents the government. But it represents the churches as well. God's people in everywhere and the people in this world. 
Many are sitting and drinking the wine of Babylon, feeding on this wine, when the Lord had forbidden us to drink of this wine. But I want to tell you all something. We need some more Rechabites here today. What do you say? We need women and men who are willing to stand up. Boys and girls who are willing to say, I don't care. I'm not drinking your wine. I'm not taking your wine. Revelation 17, we find a very familiar statement made. 17, and I'm reading verses 1 through 5. 17, 1 through 5. It says, Then one of the seven angels... You found it? Revelation 17, 1 through 5. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowels came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made what? Were made what? Drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, is this literal wine? Is this something that we can take in a cup and put it in our mouth and drink it? What is this wine? What does it represent for us today? It's, it's not like the literal wine that Jeremiah offered to, to, to the Rechabites. This wine is different, but it's wine, and it makes you drunk. It brings you to the point where you cannot reason. You accept everything they tell you, everything they give to you, you accept it. Because remember, you are drunk. I remember my uncle, many nights I had to take him to his bed. And he did not even know where he was. Nothing. And, and, and you know, it's very serious, the time in which we are living. I don't know how many of us realize the seriousness of the time in which we are living. How many of us are seeing how the signs of the time are fast fulfilling before our eyes. And how we are seeing many of us drinking this wine. Taking this wine in and drinking it. And this wine, my brothers and sisters, represents also the false teachings. The false teachings, false practices that are creeping in around us and creeping in Christian, the Christians in every part of this world. Babylon is in control. Control of the government. Control of our leaders in many places. And they are drinking, sitting there and drinking of this wine and getting drunk with the time. What a serious thing. What a serious time we are facing today. And I continue reading. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman, verse 3, sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon, the great the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. This is Babylon who is 
ruling today our world. And I want to tell you all something. I had never thought, never thought that we would be living in this time. I never thought that we will, we will see things just fast fulfilling as we are seeing them today. COVID-19 came in, and I want to tell you all, it, COVID-19 has a huge spiritual dimension behind it. It has been a test for many of us. And I can see how with the time, you know, with this COVID-19, how much vulnerable many of us are today, even our leaders Why is this message of all the nations drinking this wine so important for us to understand today? Now, one of the wine, part of this wine drinking that we find in Babylon, and I want to repeat again these false teachings. For example, the teaching, the state of the dead. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We still believe that when we die, we go to the grave, right? Of course. We, we are, we're not changing that. We believe that. And we're going to hold on to that. But many of us are believing that when we die, we go to heaven. Immediately. Drinking of the wine of Babylon. And I could go on mention some of the, 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 the truths that were handed down to us, handed down to us throughout the ages, from generation to generation, like the Rechabites. These were teachings that were handed down to us. We have people in the great, you know, dark ages, they died for these truths. They died for these truths. They love these truths because they were on the word of God. And so we, we, we call them the Protestants. And we are considered today as God's Protestant people or not. Are we still a Protestant church? I'm asking the question. What do you think? Yes, yes. yes we are. So, you know, there is still a protest going on. Because we are standing for thus says the Lord. And I want to read the last text for you. And it's found in, in the book of Revelation chapter 2. This is going to be our last passage. And it was, you know, our scripture reading for today. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 onward. Don't forget, there are a lot of drinking of this wine from Babylon going on outside and inside. I just mentioned the state of the dead. Just one. But I said I could go on and mention a whole bunch of other things that are creeping in. Just let me mention this before I read the text. There was a discussion, and I couldn't believe we would have this discussion <laughs> among ourselves. You know, sometimes I have to really think carefully before I say what I have to say nowadays. Sad. Can you all think on the idea that 
we will continue sinning until Jesus comes. We are going to continue in sin until Jesus comes. That's another lie from the devil. That's another wine from Babylon that has crept in and we have believed this lie. And I could go on, but I want to stop there for now. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And I'm going to take verses 1 through 7. And I may stop just to discuss a little bit on these verses. Now remember now that these churches, these seven churches, they were literal churches. But these churches, these messages for these churches are for every single one of us today. There is a message in every church for God's remnant church, God's end time church. And it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, representing the church, who are the ones to be holding up the light, God's church. We are supposed to be carrying this light to this world. Carrying this message to a dying world. A world that is dying in sin. We are supposed to hold the light. And it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. You see, these people were very very keen at this. They, they were constantly checking because they knew that in the time that they were living, there were a lot of false prophets coming around. So they were good at that. They could detect when someone was false or not. And verse 3 says, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You are not weary. You have the courage. You want to do the work. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have, less, you have left your first love. There was a problem with the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had abandoned their first love, their love for God, their love for the truth. For the truth. And I repeat that. The church of Ephesus had abandoned the truth. The love for one another. The love for the cause of God. They had reached to the point where they were drifting from thus, says the Lord. And they were picking up some of the practices and teachings that the false teachers had brought in. Even though they were able to detect them. And verse 5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, for else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, God is making a straight, straight message here. You stand with me and for me, or I may have to remove you. So sad. But this you have that you have the deeds you hate, pardon, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And my question is, who are these people? Who are the Nicolaitans? Who are they? Who is Jesus here talking about? Well, let me tell you something. And it shouldn't be strange to us. Nicolaitans came from Nicholas. And who was Nicholas? Nicholas. You see, this group of people, even though they were in the church, 
they were founded by Nicholas. And Nicholas was a deacon in Antioch. Nicholas condemned obedience. And he taught that obedience was not necessary at all. He taught that what was important was love for God and love for your fellow men. That's all you had to do. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your fellow men and enjoy serving the Lord. And so this practice, the church of Ephesus hated because they knew that obedience to the word of God is very, very important and crucial. And so Jesus is saying, I know you hate them. You hate their deeds. You hate the things that they do. And Jesus says, I hate it too. And then verse 7 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. There is a warfare going on on this earth. A spiritual warfare. And for us to overcome this warfare that we are engaged in, we need to hold on to the Lord. There is no way we are going to make it. No way we are going to make it if you are not holding on to Him through His Holy Word, through His Spirit. That's the only way we can have the victory. Notice Jesus says, He who overcomes. He who overcomes. Overcome what? That's right, overcome sin. Overcome the trials that are coming upon us. The temptations. We have to overcome. We have to be overcomers. Because the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is still among us. We still hear that doctrine. And the reason why I bring this message, and, and, uh, because I could stand here and I could talk to you about so many Beautiful, wonderful messages. Good messages, you know. But not necessarily messages from the word of God. And we could spend two hours just talking about it. But what bothers me, and I think if I don't do it, God is going to hold me accountable. Is that we are facing the end of time and the prophecies are fast fulfilling. And many of us are getting cold in our faith and even afraid to speak up for the Lord. So when I get the chance, I'm going to do it. Last Sabbath, and I'm going to be very quick now and wrap this up. Last Sabbath, I sat, we went to visit another church. And I sat in the Sabbath school, my family and I, and I heard uh, some comments. And the teacher said something, which was a visitor, he said, um, God is not a God of wrath. And God will never bring wrath on this earth. And I was like, huh. I shook my head. I was wondering, where is he coming from? But then I, you know, let me hear more. Give me some more. Let me hear. But farther on, you know, something was said, and I really had to make a, make a comment there. And the idea that was presented very subtle was that even after the thousand years that Satan is going to be on this earth and the saints in heaven and Jesus come back 
after the thousand years, the door is still going to be open for those who are out there lost to come in. And I, I said, am I losing my mind or what's going on here? And I'm telling you, church, I raised my hand. I said, where on earth we get that from? That's not Bible. Where is this coming from? From Babylon. This is a doctrine from Babylon. One of the doctrines of Babylon. And what that does, that makes the world think that we can go on and on and on and on. And we're going to still roll into heaven's gates. And this is not Bible, church. This truth that we just read from the word of God is the love story of Jesus Christ. What better love story we want to hear than this? That we have a Savior who died for you and for me and that he is in heaven interceding right now from us for us and that he wants to save us and that he has opened the doors, the gates for us to enter into the most holy place right now and tell him, Jesus, I come to you with all my sins. I come with all my transgressions, Lord, and I want you to take me and forgive me of my sins and have mercy upon me because you're a loving God. I don't want to knock at the door when probation is closed. I don't want to be knocking at the door when it's too late. I want to come in now to Jesus. And I want to extend this invitation to you. Probation will be closed. Of course. And the wrath of God is going to fall on this earth. And it's going to devour this entire earth. And it's going to devour the angel of Satan. And Satan himself. And those who have chosen him to be their God. But I want to tell you that the door is still open. The door is still open. And I want to encourage you to take the straight message from the Lord. Take it as it is. And let us accept the love of Jesus Christ. Today when we still have a chance to do so. Young people, stand up for Jesus. Be like the Rechabites. Take this truth. Love this truth. Live for this truth. Live by this truth. Because what is coming down the street here. Is not good. And we need to be ready to stand like the brave with our face to the foe. May the Lord bless us. May he keep every single one of us. And as we study the word, may we stand on the word and live and never drink of the wine of Babylon. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you left us. Thank you for the blessed hope we have to know that pretty soon you will burst the clouds of heaven and you will come and redeem your children. Help us, Father, not to drink the wine of Babylon. Help us, Father, to take the word of God as it is and to be separate. You tell us we need to come out of heart, come out of Babylon, come out of the false teachings. And walk the narrow path for King Jesus is soon to come. Soon we know that you are going to leave that most holy place. And we want to be ready, Lord, to receive you. We want to be ready to go home with you. But help us, Father, to obey your voice. Not to follow the teachings of the Nicolaitans. 
disobeying and transgressing the law, but to be faithful unto thee through the studying of your word and through the leading of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you may bless this church and may this church continue to grow, Father, not only um, by numbers, but also in spirit, and that we may get ourselves ready to meet our God as we see the signs fast fulfilling. I pray in King Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. God bless you.